Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Winner of numerous international film awards, the film Stray, directed by Dustin Fenley, his feature film debut, takes place in a cold and remote landscape where two strangers, Jack and Grace, struggle to repair their broken pasts. A young man on parole after serving time for attempting to murder the man who killed his girlfriend in a hit and run, and a woman released from a psychiatric facility far from her homeland. These two damaged strangers cross paths in the mountains in winter and in and fall into a complex and intimate relationship. I'm going to leave it there because it is there's a lot going on in this film. While there isn't, it is a film that really asks the audience to really lean forward and listen and watch what's going on in the film. And it's a terrific film. The film is called Stray, and we're joined today by the director, producer, and writer, screenwriter of the film, and that would be Dustin Fenley. Dustin, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Where'd the story come from? I guess it was a culmination of several years of making short films in a in a what I would call a, a minimalist approach to storytelling. So I guess I'm influenced by social realist filmmakers and by minimalist cinema and I was playing and exploring with that stylistic approach to filmmaking, making several short films and thematically my shorts were examining people on the margins or people who were alienated in some way, trying to connect with others, whether that was successful or not, uh, whether that worked or not. And so I, I guess there wasn't really a single epiphany light bulb moment for the feature film Stray it was more of a continuation of the thematic concerns and the stylistic approach that I've been developing over several years at film school and post film school uh, and then that that resulted in uh, me, me really just following my nose to to craft a feature length film for the first time yeah. As you were writing this film Stray putting it together in your mind because there's not a lot of dialogue in the film uh, it's, no, it's, no. Re- it's really about watching the characters, watching how they interact. It's also also the landscape is another character in the film. Their, sure. uh, their isolation is, is highlighted by that. But were you, as a writer and as a director, when you're writing, are you thinking visually? Are you thinking, uh, how are you thinking as you put a story like this together? Because you're really putting a lot of emphasis on a particular part of the film, the way it the way it looks, uh, and mm-hmm. just kind of curious in your in your mm-hmm. in your thought process as you're writing and putting it together in your own mind, visual mm-hmm. more or more of the uh, the other side of it. I would say uh, I try and conceive of the films when I'm when I'm imagining them and and writing them and crafting them and polishing them. The screenplay. I'm I'm imagining the film on an, an experiential level. So certainly, obviously, visually, but also sonically. You know, how does it how does it how does it look? How does it sound? How does it feel on a moment to moment basis? Uh, 
rather than, I guess, a more uh, traditional uh, three-act structure Hollywood model of, of plotting. And I'm certainly more interested in... Uh, I wanted the audience to sit with the characters, and so I'm always trying to uh, imbue the scene as a screenplay and then as, as, a, as a shot film with the sense that you're in the same environment uh, with the with the characters. And I know that that, that kind of <laughs> sounds like uh, maybe an explanation of all film, of course, you, you like any where you place the camera in an environment characters, but um, I don't have a preordained plot that I'm there then manipulating the characters to follow. It's, mm-hmm. it's really a more uh, instinctive sensory exploration of of following the characters um, rather than going okay well I want the film to be about this I want it to say this and at the end I want this uh, revelation or resolution and therefore what needs to come first you know I, right. I don't to be frank I don't know where I'm headed when I start writing I just start with a sense of a place certainly so in this film as you said the landscape is a huge feature and character and principally the central Otago landscape, which is a, a region within the South Island, New Zealand, was very inspiring. So I, I, it, it's a place that I'd visited many times before starting to write the script for Stray. But then once I did start writing the script, I would go down there in winter, it's in winter, and I would get a hire car, stay down there for two weeks, take my DSLR camera and take thousands of photos. Not really early on uh, having a sense of exactly what all the locations I would need, but so sometimes I would find a location like a timber yard um, uh, or a forest and then I would be so inspired by the place on a mood level and on a cinematic level that that would then in turn inform this, the writing. So, for instance, you know, the character of Grace, she's looking for work. I found that timber yard. You know, I knew we would have a very small budget because it's a very distinctly art house film and it'd be hard to finance this film. And so... I was looking for locations that basically required very minimal uh, art direction and that 1930s timber yard was just amazing and so I was like, okay, this is where she'll look for a job. And so I guess in that sense, yeah, kind of place and character in terms of my screenwriting and formulation are inextricably linked and location scouting feeds into that. Yeah. Well, and again, I, I guess, uh, thank you for that, uh, the, the answer you gave. And I, I was thinking it, that it's sort of, I don't know if this is summarizing it in a way that's not appropriate, but there's an ethos to the film is, and, and that, that or uh, there's a, a mood, you're, you're set in, in to these people's lives, and they behave in ways that are, so completely, as we find out more about the circumstances, these their behavior is so completely appropriate, and I think that's one of the strengths of the films, the, oh, right. of, of Stray, is that it it uh, it doesn't try, it doesn't play to an easy um, explanation, or it doesn't play to a, 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 a comfortable way forward, and mm-hmm. and I think that's what I what one of my takeaways from the film was that that is that's not easy to pull off and that's a combination mm. of direction of a look for the film a pace of the film but also in the performance of the two of the two uh lead actors in the film who you put a cr- tremendous amount of faith in 
And I, mm-hmm. and so am I, is that a fair assessment? Of, yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, it's quite, it was quite nerve wracking really because I guess the, the challenge with a minimalist approach to storytelling in this case through film is that uh every every moment every moment counts so much more because you know every line of dialogue as an audience you're craving for information exposition clues and so it it does put a lot of pressure on uh the writing but also on the execution uh of of the direction of the cinematography of the editing but then principally also the performances because it's essentially a two-hander you know it's it's there's very little because of the circumstances there are these two people who are alienated on the margins coming out of institutions trying to restore their lives they don't you know it's very essential to the premise that neither of them have um family or friends to support them when they come out of these institutions so there is it's unusual in the sense that there really isn't a supporting cast i mean there's people that they have very perfunctory exchanges with um as they're looking for work getting things from the supermarket etc but really um yeah there's a lot of pressure put on uh jack and great well in this case kieran and arthur's shoulders to give us performances that that tell us a lot about uh their state of mind and um, their yearnings without it being revealed through expository dialogue or um, photo albums or, or, and also, you know, there's complete lack of musical score in the film. (laughs) So, you know, we rely as an audience or as filmmakers and as an audience on music so much to tell us or indicate at least how we should be feeling or thinking. And uh, it was always crucial. um, Well, I always wanted to, try and pull off this film without a musical score. And I'm, I'm glad that, that, that we, that we sought that through to, to the end and we didn't kind of give in to the temptation that the audience uh, necessarily needed a score to understand and to feel for the characters. Right. But, but on the, that side of the equation of the more the technical side of filmmaking, there is a nice sound design to the film and it feels like you did spend some time uh, yes. In in lieu mm. of of mm. Uh, music, you you spend a lot of time. It feels like absolutely is that oh right? no, absolutely. Oh yeah, I mean obsessively. So to be honest, uh, Dick Reed, the amazing sound designer, uh, Kiwi sound designer. He, I mean, I must have. <laughs> uh, well, he spent you know several months in his uh, in his studio, and I visited a lot. And we would we would go through it very meticulously because the sound design needed what we were looking for was you know how trying to find um, again to that experiential uh, cinema uh, how to make you feel with them um, but also have a musicality to the sound design in lieu of having an actual uh, instrumental musical score so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Dick Reed did an amazing job, and it was um, it was crucial to to nail the sound design when you when you don't have a score kind of covering everything, really. Yeah, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with the director, producer, and screenwriter of this wonderful new narrative film. By the way, his debut feature film called Stray, and where that would be Dustin Fenley and uh, the film has done exceedingly well around the world, won a number of awards, 
including for Best Feature Film, Best Cinematography, which I want to talk about, uh, Best Actor, Best Actress, uh, around the world, and a number of, number of different uh, film festivals. Uh, Stray is now available in the United States on a number of platforms. I, am I correct in saying just about any one of them you choose to go to, you can find um, Stray? There's multiple platforms. Yeah, nu- numerous and the best places. Strayfilm.com uh, is the official website where you can get direct links to all of the various VOD platforms in North America. Yeah, Great. That's Strayfilm.com. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, I... I Again, I, I do want to talk about uh, Karen and Arda, but while we're on the sort of the technical side of this, your cinematographer, and again, I've, I say this all the time, so for our listeners, they're probably sick of me saying it, but I think on set, in real time, your relationship with your cinematographer is probably the top relationship you have uh, in the middle of shoots, and I think that uh, you this wonderful cinematography here let's talk about Ari Wigner so an Australian cinematographer yeah she's phenomenal talent you've worked Um, with her before have you not you yeah yeah. on my short films so we went to we've known each other a long time we went to film school uh, back in uh, 2004 we were at film school at the same time and uh, after leaving film school uh, she shot a couple of my short films yeah I mean she was absolutely essential to the DNA of the project in that, you know, she was the first person that read the very first draft of the script and, and gave feedback on, on pretty much consecutive drafts. And so Ari shot films like Lady Macbeth and uh, In Fabric and other amazing, you know, film and TV shows, Girlfriend Experience Season 2. So she and I, I guess the best thing that we had was that we have the same taste, you know, like I think we have a shorthand because we essentially have the same DVD collection, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> it means that, that your reference films and the way you, the way you uh, stage a scene, the, just, just where you would place the camera, what interests you, and then to the minutiae of color palette and contrast and all those things, but literally just like where you would where you would place the camera and what, what what's the perspective, those things we really just are in sync about the shooting experience because we had like a small crew and a and a, and a small budget, you know. It makes and for me it was my first feature film, stepping up from shorts. So I kind of needed, and she was the only person on the whole crew that I'd ever worked with before on a film. So, you know, um, none of the key creatives I'd ever worked with before other than Ari as cinematographer. So that was really crucial for me as well, just um, having that having that close relationship yeah. and support to to feel like, you know, I can I can do this and we can pull this off and and also because there is so much primacy placed on on the visual and the image and the storytelling, given the style of filmmaking Stray is in, those locations, um, I mean, that was for me basically going into the experience of making my first feature. I knew if I had Ari on the team and I had spent the time that I did, the, the huge amount of time location scouting, uh, myself and and kind of handpicking all these locations after like three years worth of scouting that when when winter came and we were ready to shoot I would uh, whatever anxieties or insecurities I had 
about all the things I didn't know about making a feature-length film and, and the sheer kind of, um, I don't know, the physical endurance required and the mental endurance required, I knew that those two things were going to be safe and the rest could be um, play, I guess, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's a beautiful. There's a lot of just. There's a lot of lockdown shots. There isn't a whole lot mm. of camera movement. There isn't you, you. There are some very intimate close-ups, but a lot of the film is shot in kind of a a distance. The the, the mm-hmm. and I, that has to do with I, I believe you were, the aesthetic there is these characters are really separate from the world that they live in, and it's and sort of over the course of the film there's a, a a little more of the intimacy that you bring into the story and bring into the look of the film but i just thought that there's a it's a beautiful little it's the symmetry there or the the collaboration it's mm. a, it really is it's a great look to the film as well so congrats congrats on, oh, on thank all, you all thank it. you um i wanted yeah, to we... oh, go ahead sorry. Yeah, sorry please oh no i mean yeah definitely and i think that that the i guess the the approach there or the thinking behind that was, um, as you say, the, the protagonists are dislocated, detached um, from the from the world around them and they're trying to reintegrate back into to the environment, into society, to rebuild their lives. And so we did want a fairly um, distant, uh, observational, I guess more, quote-unquote, detached approach. But it's also to do with what you said early on about wanting the to to activate the audience's curiosity to to lean in a bit more and and not be so passive like that's very that was very as as the writer directed that was really i guess essential to my philosophy in terms of the approach to the the filmmaking was to try and engender people to work a bit harder as an audience rather than things being spoon-fed and also we talked about and i talked about about close-ups, about um, kind of, uh, I think we talked about having to earn the close-up so that when when you do get that intimate close-up, whether it's, well, pretty much always in that case, ha- more handheld uh, feel that, that comes later in the film once the two protagonists have m- met, which doesn't happen until the middle of the film, quite, quite a ways into the film, traditionally speaking, that uh, we feel this shift and that we are physically closer so that you realise that the we become physically closer to the characters right. uh, as the film goes on, and as they become physically clo- and emotionally closer to each other, and we're we're less at a remove at a distance. Yeah, really want to talk about the performances. I'm not an actor, but I don't know how much more difficult it is to in, a per- in putting together a performance where you're asked to not say a lot but be able to pull people into your character I would assume it's it's a challenge for sure I think acting in general is a challenge to to do what you're you know what mm. you want from that character but um but I thought that Kieran uh Charnock and uh, Arta Debrochi uh did an amazing job of um of not giving us a lot of of dialogue and information but at the same mm. time being able to feel the pain uh, of what they're going through and how yeah. disconnected they are from from the people that were in their lives or mm-hmm. who are trying to be in their lives now. So mm-hmm. um, talk about their performances and sort of if you have notes on what that you were what you wanted from them or however mm-hmm. however you want. Yeah. So I think um, I mean what I 
what I really learned in a profound sense making my first feature film, working with these two amazing actors from different cultural backgrounds and different education backgrounds in terms of drama and performance and acting, is that there is no one way to direct an actor. So, you know, as a director, uh, the rule book... Well, put it this way, Kieran's approach was could could be, I mean, he wouldn't call this, but but others might call it a method approach in that, you know, he, because he's character coming out of prison, so he worked out, transformed his body, went on a strict diet. He worked in a sheet metal factory, which is his, you know, parole kind of job. You know, he did a lot of research. He spoke to people in prisons. And so he did a lot of that, that, that primary research so that he could, he felt that he could embody that character. But moreover, throughout the shoot, he wanted to be referred to as Jack, his character's name, rather than Kieran, his real name. And he removed himself from the cast and crew, you know, on weekends, when we're on location, we had the days off, he would stay alone, because his character's always alone, you know. And so he very much uh, took that, I guess, method approach. Whereas Arta, I guess, is a far more traditionally... um, she could slip in and out of it. So she could give a very intimate, nuanced performance, emotionally intense performance, and I called cut. And then she could be joking around and and kind of brush off the character from that scene, you know. And so, and what they wanted and needed from me to support them as a director was very different, you know. So Kieran wanted to talk quite a bit and... I would do that in a kind of whispered fashion away from notes. So I never directed the two because they're strangers to each other. These two people, mm-hmm. uh, one thing is I, I never directed them as a duo, so to speak. I didn't have open conversations going, Oh, so what, what do you, what do you think, you know, where should you be in this scene? And if you move there, what would be, you know, what would happen and what, and I didn't invite that kind of three way conversation between two cast members and myself. I, I kind of directed them, alone in separate whispering these ideas and provocations and that in a sense was because as you say it's very you know it's far less dialogue than the traditional narrative film for me it was they needed to have an internal well they do have a massive internal journey throughout the film as characters and so I thought uh, I felt that my and and they were and they they agreed that 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 I needed to provide them with a I guess like an internal dialogue for them to understand what it is that they're thinking even in moments where they're not having a direct confrontation or dialogue with another protagonist, you know? So it was very much me understanding emotionally and psychologically where at each, cause we shot out of chronological where the characters each were and then giving them ideas, even if it wasn't a dialogue scene of what I thought they could be thinking. And then they can they can choose, and they did choose, to either accept that or reject that if they had their own idea about... And, you know, like, as an example, at, I would just say, as a general rule, like, Arta required or wanted, desired less of that dialogue with me about, you know, so I could tell, like, okay, she's cool. Like, she's she's got it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. she knows. And I think also you've got to as a director, learn when to actually not meddle and not kind of, if it's working, get out of the way and just film it, you know? Um, and really, I guess for this kind of film, for both of them, for me, my job, I felt, was to set up the environment, the space that that atmospherically and emotionally felt right. And there's ways of 
how to control the space around the camera in terms of the movement of people and crew and the, and the, and the volume level, you know, uh, I guess that, that imbues the, the, the space they're going to perform in, it gives it a certain energy. So it was a very quiet, because it's a quiet observational film, it's, you know, it was a very quiet, subdued set and that, that breeds a certain energy and allows an actor to feel like they're alone in a cabin rather than people being busy and stressed and, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think, um, but yeah, they're phenomenal for actors, but I, I was really, I was really, um, it really struck me just how different they were in their methodology and approach. And yet in, a, in the finished film, they feel like they're on the same wavelength. I mean, what I'm trying to say is like mm-hmm. performatively, mm-hmm. it's the same style and tone of performance that, that's in sync, but the way in which those two human beings kind of their own methodology was was kind of polar opposite of each other. What you're described is, uh, I think, an example of your trust in them, and I think that's got to be on some level, you know, a di- it's a challenge to be so trusting when this is something that you've been working on for a long time. You're invested on many different levels. Uh, and to yeah. and for them to to be able to deliver, uh, that's got to be very satisfying for them as well as it's got to be tremendously satisfying for you because I, I, it sounds like you got <clears throat> sounds like you got what you were after from them. Oh, absolutely. And so. I mean, you'd, I knew that that as the maxim, you know, what is it that ninety percent of directing is casting, and I knew that in this kind of film more so than ever because you don't have anywhere to hide with action and car chases and music and dialogue and, and, you know, so that they're very, I guess, basically the performances are very exposed, particularly not having a music underscoring their performance. It's they're, they're, yeah, it's very, they're very vulnerable in that sense. And so, um, you know, casting's everything. So in the case of Kieran, you know, like I, uh, we, we, we must've auditioned, about 250 young guys, like in that 18 to 25 year old age group to find Kieran, you know? And when I saw his, I initially saw us because he lived in a different city at the time, I saw his self tape and it was just, it was the probation officer scene and it was low resolution video um, sent to me, but there was something so understated in his performance, even in his first kind of, you know, self-tape, which I didn't direct or converse with him about. It was like watching CCTV footage of a real uh, parole officer scene. Mm -hmm. And that was the quality, that that level of authenticity and uh, understatement and nuance, that's exactly what I wanted. And it was just, it was just like a, it really was like a, a spine tingling moment where I was like, this is the guy. And then we, you know, he came, he flew up to where I was living and then we workshopped with other actors and I kind of got to see different colors of him and different, like uh, different kinds of scenes. And I was like, Oh man, he's got the range, you know, he can, he can hit all the, the colors and the beats that I think this performance needs. And the case of, uh, so I guess the point is that was a very, rigorous like you know in the shortlist we must have auditioned over days and days a handful of actors and he was the one that came to the top and got the gig but in the case of Arta, it was the complete difference where she lived in Kosovo I lived in New Zealand 
And I just offered her the role. Like I sent her agent an email offering her the role because I'd seen her amazing performance in the Darden Brothers film, Lorna's Silence from 2008. And I love the Darden Brothers and I'd loved that film and her performance. And I was, I, I'd always knew that I wanted to cast um, a quote unquote foreigner, I, a recent immigrant to New Zealand. And so I was looking at, okay, like on our budget level, realistically, what would be a European actress that we could cast? And she was the top of that kind of, I guess, realistic wish list. And yeah, it was just very fortunate about a week after I sent the agent the email, she accepted the role. And so that was, I guess, far more blind faith. I mean, I knew she was an amazing actor and she'd worked with the Darden brothers, but I offered it to her before we even Skyped. Um, so that was a, <laughs> that was a, compared to the, 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 the level of, kind of examination and rigor in the kind of audition room that I'd done with all these young actors for the role of Jack. It was, even that was very different. So let's again, let our audience know that we're speaking with the writer, producer, and director of the film Stray, and that would be Dustin Fenley. In the last minute I have with you or so, um, uh, the the film, as I mentioned, has been uh, uh, celebrated uh, and, and awarded film, um, accolades around the world the the journey has been one uh, that a lot of first-time filmmakers you've made as you said short films but this is your first feature length film the challenges and rewards here you are uh, you, the the film is a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes the the reviews have been glowing so it's out in the world people are seeing it and they're reacting very positively to it so what's next for you how do you how to sort of how was it worth all of the, the time and the effort now that you're here how do you see your career you know moving uh forward in terms of filmmaking has this inspired you to more stories like this or do you want to do the mm-hmm. next avenger movie I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think anyone will be asking me to do the next avenger films on the basis of straight but um no i i would say that the the Marvel, you know, the, the superhero universe is not really one that, that I aspire to. I don't even really watch those films. But I I would say that, um, I mean, 100% to answer your first question, which is, is totally worth it. I mean, uh, to have the, making a film is, is a privilege, you know, and so to make a film that was uncompromised in its, um approach and style in the sense that we had full you know making a like an indie low budget film uh, not for a, a studio or what have you you know it's like a huge privilege because you get to to just make it as you as you see it and there's no committee making those decisions and so I'm really um, I'm really proud of the film for that and that 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 our vision collectively, our you know, our creative team's vision for the film artistically, um, we we pulled off, and so it's it's a huge. I mean, it's massively exciting when people respond to it in a positive way, the way that you intended, and knowing that whatever flaws are in there, they're ours. You know, they're not they're not someone else's because we had to make concessions or compromises for other stakeholders or what have you. So. I think that is probably increasingly, you know, given the industry, it's, 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 that's a rare, that's a rare thing to just make an independent film in that way. In terms of future projects, I'm writing a couple of projects. One is a, 
a psychological thriller about a, a female detective. One is um, uh, a tr- based on a true crime uh, that happened in Australia. So I've got these two projects that I'm writing, and I would say that compared to Stray, they're a little bit, um, I guess, quote-unquote commercial in the sense that, well, just in terms of plot, in terms of the level of uh, obvious tension and stakes uh, seem higher. I guess Stray could be considered a, a small, delicate story about people, two people trying to restore their lives. What links Stray and the two projects I'm currently writing now is that even though genre-wise those films are less quote-unquote art house, they still ultimately are driven by character and, and they're so like in the sense of the psychological thriller with a detective, it's really, the film is really <laughs> a, an examination of her of her marriage, but she happens to be a detective and she happens to be following this series of murders, but but ultimately the film is is about her private life as much as it is about the kind of police procedural element. So I guess that's a long way of saying that I, I'm always going to want to take her, what I would call a more soulful and artful approach to filmmaking and, and, and the stories that I tell, I would, uh, yeah, I'm not really interested in just making what would be, I guess, called pure genre films. Right. Um, there has to be, I have to care about the characters and I have to feel like it's saying something about the human experience more than just escapism or tension for the sake of tension or plot for the sake of plot. So, yeah, I guess it's taking a, I'm trying to take a, an art house approach to two more commercially minded genres, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I see, uh, in my opinion, that's happening and more and more with the explosion of all these different platforms, the, the need for content. And for all these great directors that I've had been fortunate enough to interview over the course of my time on, on doing film school radio, that you're seeing uh, that they're the uh, the people with the money to finance these films is, are doing a lot more with filmmakers like yourself and allowing because this is it's a very tough market to be sort of picked out of the crowd. There's just such a plethora of of product out there of films and tv series looking for people with a unique vision and a unique voice and the ability to follow through on that is something that is an incredibly important asset so i think you're saying the right things and i think that will be uh be in your future so also one last thing and that is a a lot of women in key positions in this film and I, i just wanted to acknowledge that you're you're producer your uh, your cinematographer as we talked about pro, uh, the production designer your editor the associate producers all women not that this yeah. is the be all and this is not uh, you know I don't want to <laughs> this is not a PC moment here it's just that uh, it's wonderful to see and I'm seeing more and more and more women who are who are working in the key positions in films particularly independent films but all across the board we're seeing it more and more so my hat's off to you just to, to be uh, be looking for talent in in all genre in all genres and all genders. <laughs> so oh yeah, they, oh, I mean I, don't, I won't really I won't really take any credit for that. I mean they're just the people that um, 
wanted to work on the film and that I gelled with and wanted to work with, you know, yeah. it's, it, there wasn't really, uh, there was no, um, there was no politics behind that at all. It was just the people I gravitated towards and, the, and that were, that were excited about the project and got the project. I mean, I think that's the most important thing yeah. is that as a filmmaker, as a director, you've got to be, what is it singing from the same hymn book or, you know, you've got to yeah. be, you've yeah. got to share the same vision because it's so precarious making a film. Like it, it can, it can really screw up on <laughs> so many levels and you're only as strong as your weakest link. And so things inevitably go wrong in the filmmaking process. And so if you're not all on the same page from the start, it's never, it's never going to work. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, all, all those all those women are incredible talents and they've gone on to bigger and better things, you know, since we made this film, which is, which is awesome, you know, um, as they should. Yeah. Well, well, congratulations to you for Stray and for your work as director, producer, and screenwriter. And to let our audience know that we have been speaking with Dustin Fenley, the, uh, the man behind Stray, you can go to Stray, film.com to find out more about the film where it's screening more about the backstory about some of the people we were just discussing who uh, provided support for this film and um, I look forward to another opportunity down the road to be having a conversation with you about your latest work so hopefully not in the too yeah. distant future that'll happen yeah uh, definitely I, I look forward to it all right well thank you Dustin thank you so much for being here today thank you You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.